0: Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we invoke the gods of Egypt. Sebastian and I am here with Chris
1: what's up
0: and we have a special guest for this podcast mr. Steve say
1: Hello. yeah hi Steve welcome Steve thank you
0: Steve is joining us from New York City to podcast with us tonight about one of the most incredible films of the last 10 years and that is <laughs> gods of Egypt now this movie I don't think a lot of people saw it, but it kind of uh, made a big impression on those who did. Um, I, you know, I remember it coming out and people really having a reaction to it. Now, are you guys, Steve, are you familiar with the work of director Alex Proyas? Uh,
2: yes, I saw The Crow and um, The Dark City. Oh, I also guess I saw iRobot. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, I forgot that he did that. Um, And then I didn't see... Knowing, the Nick Cage movie.
0: Yeah, that's a weird one.
2: And I actually skipped um, Gods of Egypt when it hit the theater.
0: Chris, what is your experience with Alex Proyas, the, the Australian auteur of this film?
1: Well, I love The Crow and I love um, Dark City. I think those are both really good. Were they both 90s? Was, was Dark City yes. late 90s? Um, Crow was
2: 94. Dark City was '98.
1: Right. So great 90s movies. I feel like they fit in there with the dark tone and, and all that. But I heard terrible things about knowing and he kind of just fell off my radar after that. Gods of Egypt, I did see I, the minute it, it came on Blu-ray. Uh, me and a few assistant editor friends ripped some bong hits and, and watched it. And I remember enjoying it. So this was my second time after that.
0: Yeah, I was kind of a fan of his. Like you guys, I I loved The Crow in the 90s. I really enjoyed Dark City. Obviously, his, he's sort of known for, I think, really his kind of visual style. Mm-hmm, you know, right. Back in the 90s, I think he was thought of as somebody who sort of had a graphic novel-like approach. I feel like The Matrix came along and sort of wrecked his game a little bit, like... Right, you know, the Matrix kind of came along and did all the things I think he was building up to do better than
1: yeah. he
0: had done it. And then the two thousands, as you mentioned, iRobot was kind of a weird, didn't really fit in with the rest of his uh, oeuvre.
1: Yeah, that's true. Dark Dark City, like, kind of paved the way for the Matrix as far as big time the premise. Dark
2: City and I believe um, certain parts of Blade are referenced constantly when people are being like, "Oh, the Matrix was so like." groundbreaking and then they're like did you see dark city or blade
0: well dark city especially because it had a similar sort of mind bending concept of somebody being sort of trapped in this construct or whatever plus even like the visual tone of it sort of like the color grading and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and it starred rufus sewell who is in this movie i did not see gods of egypt when it came out but i was sort of like when the trailers hit and i saw how crazy it looked i was like Hmm. Gods of Egypt. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I knew it was Alex Proyas until I actually saw it. And I was like, oh, now, were you guys uh, aware of the whitewashing issue that the controversy that sort of haunted this movie?
2: I believe I recall it from when it first came out. That's not one of the reasons why I didn't see it in the theater. I can understand it. Yeah. uh, When it came out in 2016. I mean, that's been an issue since forever. It has been,
0: but it really felt like it was at that point we were really coming to a head with it where people were like, no, no more.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like This this and Ghost in the Shell were kind of those moments where everyone had to be like, we have to put our foot down. This can't be the way it is anymore. And I feel like uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings was the first one out of the gate where people are like, hey, this isn't cool anymore. Why are you doing this? And honestly, I feel like that movie had more of a a reason to be historically accurate. Whereas this is kind of like, like this movie isn't historically accurate. This is like gods of Egypt, you know? And like kind of, so I don't really care as much, but I, I, I think there should be some kind of effort made to at least, you know, even out the cast. Like everyone speaks with a British accent. It's, it seems like very old school, you know, sword and sandal and not looking forward.
2: Right. But I, I feel that back in 2016, I mean, certainly even now, I wouldn't be able to name an Egyptian actor off the top of my head. It would basically be someone that played a terrorist in 24, Um, like, like, you know, Iranian or Iraqi or some Persian actor or even Indian people which would be completely not accurate. Yeah, right. So in the in the vein I think the
1: first step would be to get some brown people right, first, <laughs> you know, right, just some yeah. non-white people. How about let's try that first and get a little closer and, you know.
0: I don't I don't know if that would have done the trick, but you know, to your point, I feel like because it's about gods, there's a little more art, right. you know, artistic leeway. It, it's kind of a shitty thing to say that all the gods are white, and I mean yeah. they're not. They're not all white. Right. They're not. They, you know, in yes. fairness to this movie, they are not all white. But yeah, so interestingly, uh, Alex Proyas uh, issued an apology. He publicly apologized, mm, nice. which was something that a lot of the filmmakers weren't really doing. People would make excuses, and in his case, he was just like, "I'm sorry. You're right." And it actually really... Sort of helped his public profile, like yeah. Ava DuVernay said, "You know, it's cool that he's that he just apologized." Like, you know, other people would make excuses. Like, I think the Ghost in the Shell guy was like, "Yeah, but I needed a Scarlett Johansson." Like, you know, like
1: yeah, Ridley Scott, I think, said for God's Exodus, Gods and Kings, was like, "Yeah, he did not apologize." You know, show me an Egyptian that can open a movie at hundred million, then I'll I'll cast him. And knew, and I well, get that.
2: And you, if you compare it to something like the original Clash of the Titans. You basically have a bunch of Western, mostly British, uh, lots of Australian actors. Um, at least in this movie, playing yeah. these roles, it is star names connected to you know this crazy concept, the gods of Egypt. It had come after a couple of these kind of mythological god films. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, it was it was a movie made for Western audiences. Yes, I do love representation, of course, but will it have been made um, had it not had the cast yeah. of um, coming off a Game of Thrones guy?
0: I don't know how, how much of a star he is really outside of Game right. of Thrones. So,
1: Yeah, and it bombed anyway, so it's not really, I don't know.
0: I'm glad you brought up the Clash of the Titans comparison, Steve, because I feel like this is definitely borrowing a lot from specifically the kind of original Clash of the Titans, but you know, the remake by proxy because it was basically the same thing it definitely seems like that's sort of the juice this is sort of trying to ride which i think maybe by 2016 there wasn't much juice left
1: in that tank when was the clash of the titans remake when when did that come out was that
2: that was 2010 right and the sequel was um wrath of the titans was 2012 yeah
0: so they were already kind of riding that out
1: those did well right
0: the first one did well. But the second, the Wrath of the Titans did not do well. Okay. So it was already pretty much in the cards that this wasn't going to do well. Like, you know, I, I think it all sort of grew out of 300 being such a big yeah. hit back in 2007. And, you know, obviously there's a big star from 300 here uh-huh. doing exactly what he did in that, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: I mean, you know, I think that was another sort of selling point. You know, like, well, 300, we're going to do the 300 thing. And I think the the sort of filmic approach to this, where it feels like almost everything is shot against a green screen, is also very much drawing from 300's heat. Right. But why don't we get into the actual movie? Let's talk Gods of Egypt. Let's do it. Okay, so the movie starts off, in a way, a lot of these fantasy movies that we tend to cover on Tentpole Trauma do with a sort of intro. This one's pretty reasonable. It's just kind of a quick voiceover from an older version of our central character, where basically explains the there are the Egyptian gods and they're bigger than humans and they've got gold for blood and
1: I just like the vibe and the and the the design of it you know it's very very Egyptian and I think it's it's just a it's a it's kind of what you want when you come to a movie like this and you know at least this this slick opening at the very beginning.
2: Well, when the movie starts out, even the um, the logo for the production company uh, Summit. Yeah, Uh, It looks like the pyramids uh, when it starts out. And then um, it goes... Good
0: corporate synergy.
2: Yeah. And then the title for the (laughs) logo treatments where they're like the gold text coming out of the line. It's uh, very much like it's coming out of the Nile. I saw the entire movie in 3D. Wow. That effect, the 3D, and I'll go into it more later, even for the title treatment, was pretty cool and well-pronounced.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, that's basically it. It's just, like, you know, they're gods. They live among us in this time, which is not a real time that ever existed. And then we're sort of introduced to our main human character, uh, Beck, not spelled like Beck the musical artist, but B-E-K. He's sort of a scrappy thief character played by Brendan Thwaites. Now, are you guys familiar at all with Mr. Thwaites?
2: Brendan Thwaites, I... Most recently, saw in he's in Titans.
0: He's Nightwing, right?
2: Yeah, he plays Nightwing. He's just a really, especially back in 2016, a very cute, handsome actor. And you're yeah. kind of like, oh, this is my proxy.
0: He gets all the roles that Orlando Bloom would have gotten 10 years ago.
2: In fact, he played the son of Orlando Bloom's character That's in
0: correct.
1: the C- Caribbean movie.
0: Yeah, he shows up in all those parts as like the cute boy character that that is our hero. Yeah.
1: I'm not a fan. He's he's so namby-pamby and he feels like a a fourth Jonas brother that that yeah. you know got kicked out of the band. and He's
0: too pretty.
1: <laughs> he's way too pretty. And the opening they give him feels like Aladdin. And you're just totally. like, wait a minute, am I watching a, a Disney movie now? Uh, you know, it's like every, the vibe is cool at the beginning. And I'm like, I'm, I'm on board. This is some fantasy, uh, like awesome fantasy Raider Dar stuff. And I'm always jonesing for more, you know, Conan the Barbarian type thing. And then as soon as he showed up, I'm like, Ugh, there's my problem.
2: That's funny because the way I see it with the opening oration, and how he says like, oh, it's about a girl. It was very much like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, which also starts out like Mm -hmm. it's a narration and he's like, oh, it's, you know, the story is about love. It's about a girl. I liked him. Good looking people. They're good looking and they're in movies for a reason. So, you know, I was down with it.
0: Well, and his girlfriend, Zaya, played by Courtney Eaton, is pretty good looking too.
2: Oh yeah.
0: She, uh, I've never seen her before,
2: you have,
1: you have. Fury Road. She was in Mad Max, Fury Road. Oh
0: my God, yeah. she was in Mad Max? Yeah,
1: she's one of the wives. There are two wives in this movie, two breeders. I did not recognize her from Fury Road. The other girl that rides the snake is, is the other breeder. I know her, Abby Lee,
0: yeah. Yeah. She
2: played some character, I think whose name was Cheeto. Cheeto the something. She's one of yeah.
0: the wives. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
2: I just want to get this out of the way now. I might bring it up later, but the cleavage in this movie is is excellent pronounced. all throughout. Like you got cute <laughs> yes. guys, you got beautiful girls.
0: If you're a fan of cleavage, you're in good hands here with uh Gods of Egypt for sure. Um her her cleavage especially was very highlighted. She did fine. She's fine as, you know, his love interest. She doesn't really have a huge role, but you know, so they're setting up these two lovers. He's a thief and she's a slave.
2: When they meet in the house, is she necessarily at that point, a slave, or that happens later after the she might not be the events that follow.
0: It definitely happens later. Yes,
2: there's definitely a great line um, where, when we first when we first meet her, Beck says that the the gods their generosity knows no bounds, and then uh-huh. they pretty much focus on her cleavage. <laughs> and bounds <laughs> rhymes with mounds, and I just thought that was pretty funny. Anyway.
0: A little visual uh, entendre there from our friend Alex Proyas. Next, we meet Horace, who is going to soon be ascending to the throne. Horace is played by Jamie Lannister, uh, a.k.a. Nikolai Koster-Waldau. And he's, you know, at this point, he's playing Horace. He's sort of the this cocky kind of god who's, you know, got it all. Horace is a very important character in Egyptian mythology. And uh, But he is in love with um, the goddess of love, Hathor, who is played by Elodie Young. And Elodie, uh, I know her from the Daredevil show. She played Electra, and she's pretty good in that. I really enjoy her in this movie. I think she kind of brings a nice energy uh, to it. I didn't remember her when I had first saw it, but this time I think I've seen her in more things. So I was kind of like, yeah, I, I like her. And I like Nikolai coster although I think he's not going to cut it as a leading man in movies. You know, he's got the looks and he's, he can act, but there's just something about him. I, I feel like he works yeah. in Game of Thrones, and I don't know if he really carries a movie as a leading man.
1: Agreed. He, there's just something missing. I
2: want to compare him to um the actor who played Sawyer in Lost, that sort of same look. Yeah, Josh Holloway. And... I like them both. I would give definitely give them or especially Nikolai like another chance at the leading man role because I feel yeah. he does have a sort of charm and charisma that definitely translates. That's true.
1: He's just given nothing in this role either. I mean, like there's I feel like there's not really an angle. It's just kind of like Gerard Butler's just phoning it in and doing his 300 thing whereas like I feel like everybody else is just I'm playing a god, okay? Elodie Young,
2: um I remember her from uh G.I. Joe, the sequel movie. I think it was called. Oh, she's in that one. Yeah. Rise of Cobra. The Rise of Cobra. And uh, she plays Jinx, um, Snake Eyes, no, Storm Shadow's cousin. And then, yeah, like became Electra in the Daredevil TV show. Uh, she's a French Cambodian actress, very beautiful. Yeah. I feel, though, that like maybe if this movie was made 10 years earlier, it'd be a role that would be filled by Ava Mendez. Yeah. They sort of have that same sort of. Um, that look, uh, sharp features. Sure. Um she's definitely great in the role. Hathor, I think they called her the god of love to yeah. make it more of a parallel to like the Greek goddess of love Aphrodite. Um, because she's actually the she's the goddess of love. She's also like later on in the movie you find out she's the god of this. Yeah. Um, and then she's also the god of joy and dance. Um so she's hmm. all over the place these Egyptian gods. Well, they're playing a lot with the mythology. They're not sticking
0: to the actual strict mythology. No way, at
2: really? All. <laughs> well, no, actually, we'll get into it later, but I was actually surprised by this movie.
0: They're making the characters be whatever they need to be to serve the story, basically. That's what they're the gods of. Yeah, so we sort of get this little scene with them. It's sort of set up that uh, Horace wants her as his queen, but they've got this sort of, she's got love in her heart for everyone, as he says. So that means you know she can't be trusted to be faithful or something like that.
1: I thought the the visual effects actually were pretty good with the size differences of the gods and the in the mortals, but yeah, it it almost like looked so good that you you just it found it goofy almost. You're just like this is <laughs> kind of just silly, and for some reason it works with like hobbits and wizards and whatever. But when like everybody's kind of like dressed the same, yeah, it's just like oh Nikolai's just so much more of a man that he's three feet taller than everybody else. But it's just, you know, it, it, the visual effects were were done well, but it just, it seemed a little goofy and awkward to me. Well,
2: back in, they had already sort of set a precedent for it back in 2010, February, with uh, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, because the Greek gods in that movie were even larger than the Egyptian gods uh-huh. in those scenes. Yeah, it was it was sort of already... The gates were already open to that. Like in Clash of the Titans, they're not much larger than the people.
0: It definitely is taking the Lord of the Rings thing to the next level. And there was a few moments where I could appreciate that they were actually doing some forced perspective stuff.
1: Like in camera, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was a couple moments where I could tell they were doing that. And I was like, oh, cool. They're doing forced perspective. But... Most of the time you can tell it's just that everybody's shot on green screen and that's just how they're doing it. It's just, you know, everybody's sort of in, in their own green screen and they just size them up or size them down.
1: You know, you know, what especially stood out to me was when there was a lot of touching, like, you know, they're like his little slave girls would, yeah. would rub his shoulders. And I was like, oh, they're actually interacting. It's not just right. green screen. Like however they did it, they cut people out. They did a lot of interacting. So I was like. Kudos to that. You know they're they're really selling it here.
2: Another thing about this movie, it came out in 2016, but Thor had already come out in 2011. A completely different pantheon, and it also Mm. showed this like young god about to become king. Yeah, and who was a party dude, and basically had a rager right before the night of his coronation.
1: Yeah, see that that's more character right right there. I feel like why didn't they show. Nikolai partying it up or, you know, doing something crazy like that. would
2: Oh, they showed the aftermath.
1: Right, right. But they could have given him a little bit more, I don't know, swagger, I feel like.
0: So the next scene we get is the coronation, which is basically a giant stadium full of people. I guess everybody gets to be invited to the coronation if you're an Egyptian. I think the special effects are pretty good all around. But, you know, the crowd scenes definitely feel like... You know, the actors are all on a stage somewhere, and the, they don't really have any yeah. sense of, like, <laughs> the crowd. It feels Not very disconnected.
1: You can tell there's 30 people on set, but there's supposed to be a billion people there, and you're like, mm, okay.
0: Yes. How did this stuff, did this stuff pop at all in 3D, Steve? Oh,
2: all of the scenes where the camera's flying over the crowd. Uh, I mean, I was sold. I was definitely into it and then like the procession of the gods and there were so many it was basically like the egyptian version of the met gala like Uh all these like (laughs) super well-dressed people and awesome hairdos um i was excited like because none of them had their animal heads i couldn't tell who was who and then you have um chadwick boseman roll in i'm like I didn't even yeah. know he was in the movie. When the movie
0: came out, he was starting to become a star. I think he was already cast as Black Panther, but he—I don't think um, Civil War had come out yet. But like people were anticipating him breaking big as Black Panther, and I would just sort of forgotten that he was in this movie. And unfortunately, he's passed away uh, since its release. And so seeing him again, I was kind of like, "Oh, I'm
2: glad Chadwick is here." You know? Yeah, it was—it uh, was—it was great, but also sad. Um, at the same yeah, time, yeah.
1: But a little wasted, though.
2: <laughs> I remember it being a
0: waste, and it definitely is, considering how great of an actor he is. But he did get yeah. more than I remembered him getting. Like, he does yes. have, like, a whole scene and stuff.
1: And they try and elevate his character. You know, he's not just the guy to go get the magic spear that you need. You know, I mean, he yeah, right. there's a whole bunch of stuff to his character. So that that was good. And
2: fortunately, they build up to it, too.
1: I saw this in 4K, and it, and it was popping for me. On, oh, nice. On, my TV. So the look is is very entertaining. It's one of those movies that, you know, just every scene kind of pops with a lot of color. It's almost too much, but, but if, if this is what you want, you know, they give it to you in spades, you know, like they, they, they really go for it. And Steve, hearing about 3D makes me want to really, really watch this in 3D. I'm going to have to hunt down a copy.
2: Since I'd never seen it and it wasn't even on my radar, um, a mutual friend of ours bought me the Blu-ray in 3D. Um, nice. So, like, Steve, the 3D Ooh. is amazing. Like, we're both 3D Blu-ray people clutching our 3D TVs because they're not being made <laughs> yeah. anymore. Hold on to that with your dear life. Right, right. Uh, but the 3D was, <laughs> was as he said, I was, you know, I was very pleasantly surprised. Now, Chris, I've got
0: to imagine you were excited to see your man, Brian Brown, show up as Osiris, <laughs> right?
1: Douglas Coughlin. Yes. I was (laughs) expecting him to do the hippie hippie shake any minute and, uh,
0: pour some drinks. I was
1: excited to see him, but yeah, he didn't, you know, toss any drinks in the air. And, and honestly, I was like, he's a God. (laughs) Like what? Like,
2: yeah. You're talking about him from cocktail.
1: I was like thinking about him from FX. (laughs) No, he should be like pouring some drinks with, with uh, Maverick there. And, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was fun to see him. I wasn't surprised when he, uh, you know, exited the movie quickly, too. Um, yeah. It really just kind of shows how well cast Gerard Butler and Nikolai are. You know, I mean, they've really got the yeah, – they just got the frames for it. You know, they're gods. Like, I, you know, I, I get why they're cast. Um, the rest of them, they're old, they're English or Australian. No, they're Australian,
0: dude. It's because this was all shot in Australia and, and Alex Proyas is Australian. Okay, yeah, so that's why he was central Australian casting, right there. That's why, you right, get Brian right, Brown.
1: exactly. Where's Paul Hogan? Like,
0: yeah, totally. <laughs> it is kind of a weird choice for Osiris because Osiris yeah. is like this, you know, major dude, yeah, in Egyptian mythology. And it's like Brian Brown,
1: exactly, the FX
0: guy <laughs> from Cocktail. Weird choice, but whatever. He's, you know, as you said, uh, he's not in the movie for long because as Horace is getting ready to accept the crown, his brother Set, the god of the desert, shows up and uh, Set is played by Gerard Butler. Now, obviously, Gerard Butler is in here because of his uh, 300 role. I honestly had not had a lot ex- of experience with Gerard Butler up until recently. I'd seen 300 and some of the other things he had done, but I recently just watched all of the Has Fallen movies. Oh, awesome. <laughs> oh, and, <my> and, <laughs> I don't know.
2: They're fun. The first one is, at least. The first
0: one is is actually a good time, but they get wor- okay. kind of worse and worse. The second one has a pretty amazing scene of London getting trashed. But uh, I don't know, man. He's kind of a tough one for me. I'm not really a fan. I understand that he does what he does pretty well. He yeah. fits the suit here just exactly. fine. He does what he's asked to do. He yells a lot and acts intimidating. and he, So he totally pulls it off in this movie. I'm not a huge fan.
2: Oh, what was that movie where he um, stopped the weather dominator from destroying the earth? Geostorm. Yes, yes. The Geostorm. So he's in a lot of those kind of movies. I enjoy the cheese factor. He's there to do his job. He does it well. Yeah. Would have liked a sort of more... Jafar-like person to be there? Maybe. I mean, when I see Gerard Butler, especially in a film like The Fallen series, it's so funny that we're calling it that. Yeah. Um, You know, I know what I'm going to get, and that's fine. Yeah, and in fairness to Jerry,
0: he does a good job here. He does what he's supposed to do. So, yeah, basically, uh, Set shows up and, you know, he's making it appear as though, you know, he's here for the coronation and that he's all on board. But it's pretty obvious right away that that's not why he's here, because he, like, brings with him a whole bunch of, like, troops and stuff. Like, I don't know, his evil uh, desert troops or whatever. And he basically kills uh, Osiris, like, stabs him and claims the throne for himself. And uh, not only that, but he, him and Horace fight, and he pulls out both of Horace's eyes, blinding him.
1: I thought the action was good. I mean, it... it- as soon as they, you know, click their thumbs or their powers in- into and they, they become their full CG selves, I was like, oh, this is going to get bad. And I was a little bit more checked out. You know, I I, I really it makes me really appreciate a movie like uh, Troy, which is kind of the sort of the same sword and sandal feel. But, you know, when it's Brad Pitt and Eric Bana doing their own stunts, carrying heavy shields, you feel the physical weight of, of what they're yeah. of what they're doing here. I know it's not that type of movie, but I would just have appreciated a little bit more of that. But I think there's good ideas. The cG looks good. it's it's great eye candy. I have no problem with it. It's just not great. you know,
0: there's definitely a weightlessness to it. And as yeah, to your point, what happens is that they fight as normal sort of human gods, and then they also will sort of armor up into these. More stylized uh, versions of the Egyptian gods, where they have their sort of like animal heads. Uh, in yeah. Horus's case, it's a hawk head, and in Set's case, it's like a jackal. Uh, which Anubis is the jackal, so that's a little confusing. But whatever, we yeah. won't get, we won't split hairs on that.
2: I will mention that uh, I think recently they said that the jackal was actually an African golden wolf, um, oh, okay. and that you know that's for Anubis, but I guess the only things about the the dog like character that set is is that it had almond eyes eyes and a curved snout and mm-hmm. pointy ears which they got in the visuals great. i love how like when osiris goes to hug his brother that's when the stabbing happens in the actual myth and what shocked me about this entire movie was i thought they were making stuff up like the remake of clash of the titans like changing the mythology around yeah but the the writers here are we're pretty accurate. Like the fight between mm. Horus and Set does happen, uh, Set does kill his brother. But in the fight, not only does Set take Horus's eyes, but Horus cuts off Set's nuts, which Whoa, is oh,
1: they should have added that. Well, no, I mean
2: they they actually reference it later when Set is talking to his ex-wife mm-hmm. of why they weren't able to have kids. Oh, um, right, right. It's, yeah, no, that's it's in, in it. reference that's in to that, that he has no nuts. Wait a
1: minute. We missed an opportunity to see a, a pair of balls like spewing out gold. I think you can't make a mainstream
2: <laughs> movie today or for a word that you want men to see and have right. a sort of nut cutting off scene. You got away with it in maybe Fight Club, but otherwise, it's a no.
1: This is rated R, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Is it not? Nope. Oh, damn.
2: I guess
0: when you take over as a god of Egypt, you get to set the terms of the afterlife or whatever, because mm. I'm not sure what Osiris, how Osiris had things set up, but it probably wasn't as grim as as Set's decree, which is that the only way to get into the
2: afterlife is to be rich. So he's like, you all
0: got to get rich if you want to get into the afterlife.
2: The speech that Osiris gives um, before he passes the reins down is... Um He takes two pieces from the pot of offerings, and one's from a rich person, and one's from a poor person. He says, like, in the eyes of, you know, judgment, these are both equal. Um, And so, yeah, Set just throws that to the garbage. So, yeah, then we cut to one
0: year later. And, um, you know, now Egypt is under Set's rule. It basically, you know, everything kind of sucks now, and a lot of people end up as slaves. And one of the people that ends up as a slave is uh, Beck's girlfriend, Zaya. And now she is a slave to Urshu, who is played by um, great British cad Rufus Sewell, who is in Dark City. And he is uh, Set's architect, basically. He's building this massive, massive. Obelisk for Set's honor, like in the middle of where, whatever the city is, Cairo or whatever. And it's going like so far up to the sky. And he wants it, Set wants it there so that his father or grandfather, or whatever I get confused, Ra,
2: will see it from the heavens because he's up in the heavens. I think it was a great surprise to see him. Having known that, you know, he was also the lead in Dark City, so I'm always glad yeah. when a director is like, yo, this is my boy, I'm going to put him on my movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, he seems, as the character, Urshu, like I'm actually glad that he wasn't sexually harassing uh, Zaya as his employee. Yeah.
0: Well, they set it up like, oh, he's because there's a voice over here that sort of gets us back into the story. And they're like, and she was working for a very cruel man. And, yeah, he seems like a jerk, but he's not like being super cruel to her. Like she leaves the windows open and his scrolls go flying out. And he's like, can you please keep the window closed or whatever?
1: Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, he's not being that harsh on her. I mean, I assume that
2: that was when um, Beck open the doors, the windows to come in. Yes. And that
1: wasn't actually her fault. So it's his fault. A dick. All right. It's always the man's fault. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, you know, Beck comes in to, to you know, see her and stuff. And she's like, we have to get Horace back because he, you know, he'll save everybody. And Beck's like, Horace is blind. Like, what's the point in that or whatever? But she convinces him. And because she has access to set's Architect, she has plans to like his pyramids or whatever. So she shows Beck these plans and that allows Beck to like, now he's got this valuable information and he's going to go steal the eyes of Horace so that they can get Horace back in the game to defeat set. So we have this scene where Beck goes to this, like, it's like a pyramid or something. Where does he go
2: to get the, it's the, um the Royal vault of sets. And he basically jumps into like a, basically a dump truck full of the spoils of war
1: gold. Right.
0: Yeah. That's how he sort of gets in. And then once he gets in, it becomes this sort of like temple of doom type scenario or a little more like Raiders of the lost Ark type scenario where, you know, there's these sort of traps. Like the first trap is like these statues set up on this, you know, down this like elevated corridor or whatever. They all start spinning and he's got to duck the swords and stuff. Did kind of remind me a little of Attack of the
2: clones Z type. <laughs> oh uh. yeah, that scene with um, c 3
1: In the factory.
2: Right. It's totally riffing on Indiana Jones with the pit of scorpions on the bottom. The, yeah, right, the facto a creature for desert yeah. temples. And he's like, where did they get that many scorpions? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's Egypt, so like, you know, the Scorpion King, Scorpions, yeah, yeah. you know. Even Clash of the Titans had, you know, Scorpions in it. It's just a... Yep, giant Scorpions. You know, it's just a scary thing that you just want to put in movies. I like a good Scorpion.
1: This does get into the too close to a video game type thing, you know, I yes. when I see right. this, I'm like, ooh, this would be a fun game to play, but totally. not so good to watch, you know. And like, I
2: didn't see the, the Disney's Prince of Persia, but I can imagine that, that game yeah. had death traps like this. I did like yeah. that. You know, it was he had to carry the torch above his head to prevent himself from creating a shadow for the first half of the trap.
1: Yeah, yeah, the staircase that 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 crumbles before him like was a cool look, and you know, I could. There was some drama there where he was trying to. Oh,
2: that that's later on. That's how confusing oh, is, that it is later on?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he kind of does the same thing a bunch of times.
0: But um, he does manage to steal one of the eyes of Horus. Uh, There's only one there, right? Right. There weren't two there, yeah. He manages to steal one of the eyes of Horus. So he brings that back to uh, Zaya, and he and Zaya try to escape, and they get into a chariot and ride off, but Urshu comes back. And he shoots Zaya from afar, Conan the Barbarian style, with a bow and arrow, and so she dies. And so Beck wants to, you know, bring her back or whatever. So they go to Osiris's tomb to find Horus. Now, this is a logic question that I have here. It's like, doesn't anybody know where Horus
1: is hanging out? Like. Yeah, is he just behind the tomb, just chilling? Yeah, he's got like a bed,
0: or he's got like a mattress or something like set up behind (laughs) the tomb, like in his dad's tomb or whatever. Like, like didn't anybody think till they maybe look for him there? Like he's been wandering around for however long without any eyes, and they know he's still alive. Um, There's sort of some lip service paid to later that why Set didn't kill him or something, but it does, you know whatever it's it's a movie we we got to give it to this but like did they explain how beck knows that horus is hanging out at this tomb or are they just going to the tomb because he thinks it's going to save uh Zaya or whatever
2: i think they were going to give the eye the, that was a plan to give the eye to horus right but they know he's at this tomb i i mean we just that's a that's the leap of logic right <laughs> like no yeah you're right yeah. you're right I was. I'm. Only, I'm not trying to
0: stump you guys. I'm just, like, I'm just like. I'm just like. I. I. I'm wondering how we got there.
1: It just seems a weird place for him to be. Like set up his air mattress behind my grandfather's yeah. <laughs> tomb, and like. uh I'm in exile for a year. I'm just.
0: I understand that he's broken up about things, but yeah. like you know, I don't know if I was hiding out, I wouldn't go to my parents' grave. I'd go somewhere else.
2: For one, one thing, Urshu is an amazing shot. Like the distance yeah. where he kills Zaya is just yeah. like. I was like, how did you mess, miss with the second shot, which yeah. Would, yeah. you know confused me. And then I didn't even realize on the second viewing that the giant bust head of Osiris's grave, I thought it was like a temple to Anubis because the temple uh-huh. looks like Anubis uh, when right. they were riding into it. And I didn't even realize until later on that it was actually the grave of Osiris and Isis. His mom is Isis. Yes. I
0: didn't catch that. Gotcha. All right.
2: And we learn later on what happened to her. Yeah, because that was another question
0: I had, because they do the jump and they don't really tell you what happened to her. They don't tell you what happened to a lot of people, but then they kind of explain it. They give you sort of a retcon later, so you figure it out. But anyway, uh, Beck finds uh, Horus, and they have this sort of, you know, exchange where Horus is trying to sort of grab hold of him, but he can't see him, and, you know, Beck is, like, dodging him and stuff. And then, um, you know, eventually Beck gives Horus his one eye, um, but he makes Horus promise to bring Zaya back with his god power, which Horus can't do, but... Horace says he can, and that becomes the sort of central conflict between them. We get a lot of that sort of scale thing that you were talking about here, where we see a lot of Horace and Beck together, and Horace is clearly larger. He grabs him at one point.
1: choking him, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the the effects are definitely good in this scene. And you can tell they sort of really, like, took the time to work this out. This was kind of the big showcase for that, I think. But, you know, it's fine. It sort of sets them up as now these are our two heroes. They are going to find a way to bring back Zaya and to stop Set.
1: Well, this to me pays off why they even put a love story in, in the beginning anyway, which I felt was, you know, a little weak. But I'm like, oh, OK, here is is the reason for it in the story. And it makes sense. It's a it's a good reason. But I also wish that, the, you know, there was a little bit more chemistry between Nikolai and, and, and the lead guy. I feel like they, yeah. you know, they have some. But like, you know, they really if this is going to be the spine of the story, these two guys, a god and a mortal. Yeah. Banding together and actually, you know, having some uh, relationship, I, I felt like they they could have done a lot more with that and that could have been like the whole you know spine of of the movie where you you really cared about these two guys and wanted to see them succeed but not really.
0: Yeah, I don't think the chemistry between them is stellar. It's fine. It's serviceable, right. but it's not. It's not even as good as say, like Johnny Depp and and uh, Orlando Bloom. Orland. And the, yeah, the totally. Pirates right, movies. Right. It's not even like that good. It's it's fine. It it gets the job done, but you know. But I, you're right. It could be a much more interesting conflict. I kind of blame Brendan Brenton for this. I think you could have gotten somebody a little better in that role, yeah. and it would have worked better.
2: Oh, but him and Courtney Eaton are so adorable. How could you not like that? They are adorable.
1: <laughs> they are an adorable young love, and then and like the you know when it when this thing pays off, I'm like, oh, it made it better for me. You know, when I was watching it the first time, I'm like, oh, this is just four quadrant script nonsense trying to shove a love story into the gods of Egypt, which should just be a Conan movie. But now, you know, it made sense to me that you know, and and she's. Adorable. Both of them are, are, you know, cute and cuddly and and good looking in in a very innocent way. So I I understand that.
2: They're definitely young looking.
1: Yeah, you want to root for them as a couple.
2: I definitely, um, this is the first time we actually see Anubis. Yeah. Horace calls him up and he like spins out of the ground and uh, basically takes uh, Zaya to the underworld. And because of Seth's new rule, um, she's too poor to get into the afterlife. She only has her smile. Which ain't going to cut it. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'd let her in. I'd let her in.
1: But honestly, when Anubis shows up, it, it it reminded me of like those Vegas slot machines that are oh my god in, all about you know at the Luxor? Egypt and stuff. And I was yes, <laughs> and I'm just like why why does that ring a bell? That that rings a bell for like a Vegas slot machine. And I know it's you know the imagery is what it is, but I just couldn't help feel like it was a little cheap.
0: Anubis is my guy as far as Egyptian mythology goes. He yeah. was always my favorite character i don't know if you guys played D no ever no but like there was like this D book De- deities and demigods and i would always mm-hmm. look at it and like they had all the egyptian gods and i was always like yeah Anubis, he's the coolest you know like because i liked his <laughs> jackal head and every and he was the god of death and stuff so i'm like cool i can yeah. like him. i'm a little sad that he has such a kind of a limited role he doesn't even get to be played by a real actor he's yeah. always always the which is you know i mean look i oh. like the cg version of him but yeah all the other guys get like a human form and yeah but imagine
1: always- if they had if they had done what they did with, you know, Avatar, where they look kind of cat-like.
0: This is the part in the podcast where you talk about Avatar I have to like bring in every Avatar. single yes. podcast yes. we do together. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> it's
1: like, everybody
0: take a drink. Chris is
1: Chris mentioned Avatar. Avatar. It's not going to ever stop because any movie with CG has to be talked about uh, Avatar. But no, the way they make, you know, the the, the sort of feline nose in, yeah. in the Na'vi Imagine if they took that same sort of thing and applied like a jackal face to an actor. That would have been really cool. You know, if you just like found the right actor who could have, you know, embodied that role with just a little CG could have been a great thing.
0: I mean, he doesn't have enough of a part for them to bother. So I understand why they didn't. I was just kind of a little bummed that um, Anubis didn't get more of a role in the
1: movie. Yeah. But imagine uh, who's who's the guy from uh, the, the Wire and um, John oh, Wick. John Wick. Oh yeah, um, McNulty. I can totally see it. No, 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 no. The uh, the African American dude who. The oh yeah, of... yeah. The
2: guy who plays Cedric. Oh God, what's his name? He's in Horizon Zero Dawn too. No, I mean, if you ask anyone, name an Egyptian god, they're gonna say Anubis. He is, yeah. Lance probably Reddick. probably the most famous. Lance yeah, Reddick, Lance Reddick.
1: Yeah. So yeah, if Lance Reddick played him, I feel like he would have knocked it out of the park. It would have been would have been badass.
2: That would have been cool. Yeah.
1: And Anubis is
2: basically Horace's half brother or cousin in the actual mythology um but yeah like like you said in actual uh egyptian mythology like people know him he's super famous yeah. but he's not in a lot of the stories so there's not a lot to draw from
0: that makes sense but yeah he is kind of you would think that he would be kind of a the star of the movie He's sort of your Wolverine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Anyway, yeah, so that makes sense that he doesn't have a, that big of a role. I mean, and all he really does is, like, shepherd people to the dead, so I don't know what you do with that anyway. But I don't know. Somebody right. could come up with a story around that. Maybe I will. I'm going to get started. Gods of Egypt 2 <laughs> tonight.
1: Return of Anubis. Anyway. Have Anubis and, uh, you know, Red Skull, like, come, come together and... <laughs>
0: So what Horace has now got to do is the next thing they've got to do is they got to go talk to uh, Grandpa uh, Ra, who is up in his cosmic boat or whatever. So they go to this mountain and, you know, Horace, because he's lost, he doesn't have both of his eyes. He can't transform into his like hawk form or whatever. But I get if he prays he might be granted the ability to do it. So he goes to this mountaintop and prays, and then he can turn into the hawk dude. And so he picks up um, Beck and they go flying up to this cosmic boat that's, like, just kind of sailing along in the atmosphere, like, right where you sort of start to see the stars. It's a cool visual. so great. And we have Jeffrey Rush. Yeah! As Ra.
1: This was my favorite part of the movie, just because of how bonkers batshit crazy it is, you know? I mean, I remember the first time watching it going, wait a minute, what, you know, because... you expect things to be landbound, and they just go out into outer space and there's a god just living there and, you know, keeping watch over the earth. He's just like, hold on one second, I gotta take care of something. <laughs> and then he fights off this giant dune worm and you're just like, oh my god, so great.
0: Before he fights the giant dune worm or whatever smoke monster, he turns on the axis of the world and yes. we see that the world it's is flat. flat. Yes. So I'm like, it's so great. is Alex Proyas a flat earther?
1: Oh my God. <laughs> but I just love how they throw all that at you. It's just like anything can happen in this movie now. I just, I really love it. And just, I, I applaud their effort to like, go as far from reality as possible and be like this. What if the Egyptians were completely right and yeah. all of this is real and it's, it's stunning visual work. You know, I, I really, really love this part of the movie. It really
2: plays into the mythology. Like everything I was, I was like, what the hell is going on? And then I read about it and it's all stuff from the mythology. It's basically mm-hmm. Ra is the God of the sun and And during the day, he's dragging the sun across the surface of the Mm -hmm. earth. And then at night, he goes over the underworld. And when he's in the underworld, he actually, in the mythology, fights Apophis, this, you know, demon of darkness, this chaos worm, um, every night. When I saw the scene, I was like, what is this crazy, made-up nonsense? And then I go afterwards (laughs) and read about it. I was like, wait, you know, it's like all all the legends of the forest they're all true you know like basically like right <laughs> right right <laughs> it was amazing and i also thought that jeffrey rush and i don't know what this was you know a bald cap or whatever but i guess because he was the sun god the skin on his head was peeling yeah. or something. I was like, "Oh wow, I didn't catch like, that." It looked
1: what? like he had a chemical peel or something, but it was gold, but also peeling. It was right. very odd. Look yeah, for him.
2: sparkling. It was um, just the attention to the actual mythology throughout the movie. You know, you look at things. It's like, oh, it's uh, two brothers fighting over the crown of their father. You know, common story, Greek mythology. You name it, or like Cain and Abel. And it's just like this pure mythological stuff. And this is like one of the earliest stories. So when you see it in the movie, you're like, oh, this is something else. But no, it's the actual thing that it's from. (laughs) It's just crazy.
0: That's cool. That kind of makes me respect it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I was totally blown away when seeing Jeffrey Rush come out of nowhere. So that was, it was an extra treat.
0: Yeah. So this nightly battle with the world eater Apophis is important because this basically becomes the doomsday device uh, that Set is going to use. Horace goes to him and is basically like, you know, look, I need to defeat Set, you know, and that's when Ra's like, hold on a second. flips the, yeah. <laughs> the, the boat over the flat planet and then fights this monster thing this giant thing
1: it's just like hold my beer <laughs> yeah
0: yeah <laughs> And so basically, you know, they have this conversation and Roz basically like, I'm not going to get involved with this shit, but like, if you need some help, like here's some water, some magic water or whatever, which I didn't quite fully track as to what that's supposed to do. It's like, yeah,
1: what was that supposed to do? You're supposed to pour it into something else. It's the water of creation. But it wasn't going to work anyway, right? Like set told him that. No, no, no.
2: Horus was trying to get the water of creation, which is what the boat. Uh-huh skyboat was floating on, um, so okay. that he could quench the desert fire in Seth's temple, um, where his power came from. So he was going to douse the
1: fire. Ah, so S- Set was lying. Set was lying when he said, don't do this. Like he should have, if he had just poured it into that fire, they would have defeated Set.
2: No, he was trying to stop him from messing with his mojo basically.
1: Right, right. So he... Set was alive. Okay.
2: Yeah, I got it. I got it that it would defeat Set. I just
0: didn't get how. So it's basically right. he's gonna pour the water. I think I kind of got that there was some kind of fire that right. he had to put out or whatever.
2: Yeah. Horace asks for permission from Ra, and Ra says, you know, the waters are not mine. Meaning the waters are right. for everyone. You know, it's all sort of these great lines. Um, Horace is like, you know, I can't do it. I I need your your help to you know become the eagle without his eye. And then uh, Ross says, every God's life is a journey. When you stray from your path, you become weak. Right. That was a good line. Which plays in later. And at
0: this point, Horace thinks that means that like his path is revenge. And this becomes sort of a story thematic thing. But Mm -hmm. Ra doesn't tell him what his destiny or whatever is. But Horace is like, well, must be to kill Set and get revenge for my parents. That must be my destiny. Yeah. So they, they get that water and then they basically leave Ra to his business um, we get a quick little scene between uh, now Set is with um, Hathor like now she's with him now. But, you know, she can you can tell she's not really super into it. But this is just just the way the cards have been dealt. But she's like, oh, no, baby, I like you a lot and, or whatever. And he's like, I know you don't like me like you liked Horace. She's basically, he wants her to take him to the underworld so he can, I don't know, shut it down or something. And she's like, nope. And so she disappears.
2: Yeah, no, I think right after this, um, Set gets his army together, and then they go to finish off the rest of the gods.
0: And do they kill the
2: gods at this point? So he goes to see his ex-wife. And his ex-wife, right, his ex-wife. Um, is uh she's the goddess of protection. She's uh, Isis's sister. and She's
0: played by an actress named Emma Booth.
2: Right, who's a Australian model. Yeah, so sh- she's... There, she's uh has a burial shroud on the loom because um Seth is killing Seth is killing so many gods, and all the remaining gods, except for one as we find later, are holding up there as sort of a last line of defense. And um, Seth kills them all or whatever, and um, he takes her wings, yes, yeah, he
0: he goes to see her. She's got these cool wings, yeah,
1: those wings, the design of those are really cool, and when they get cut off. And and then yeah, it becomes they like became a solid the symbol, or almost it, yeah, right. it's super cool. Like
0: yeah, they sort of transform into a sort of symbol of the wing, like a very familiar Egyptian right. Yeah, exactly.
2: The production design on that is beautiful, especially when you see them the first time, when mm-hmm. Um Set at stabs Osiris. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she uses it to cover her sister and the corpse um, when right. Horus and Set go at it.
0: Okay, so yeah, then basically Set figures out that Horace is back in the game, so he gets this like minotaur minion of his to go after Horus. And I got to say, this kind of rubbed me a little bit of the wrong way because minotaurs are Greek mythology. Like, right. yeah. You know, like, I, I I wasn't sure even if, cause the preacher design on this thing is so kind of out there that you can't tell it's a minotaur. But then I looked no. it up and nope, it's a minotaur. Oh, and like, oh I'm they like, say
2: that in the credits that it's a minotaur.
0: Well, they, yeah, they said, I well, it was on Wikipedia. Maybe okay. Wikipedia is one. I mean,
2: all of that, Bull guys, second command soldiers are bulls. I j- just before seeing this, um, seen Clash and Wrath of the Titans. Uh, yeah. Wrath of the Titans actually has a minotaur. Yeah. Um, I was supremely offended not because it's Greek mythology, but because, um, Hathor and Isis are both cow goddesses, and then they uh-huh. just throw in this random bull character that has absolutely nothing to do with the mythology in this way i was it was kind of he's just annoying. a minion
1: yeah it's lame though i mean keep it egyptian i mean like you know it, the egyptians loved cats so much and there's barely any cats in this in this movie i'm like
0: yeah bast is a huge god character in the pantheon and they don't use her at all which was kind of shocking like you would have thought
2: bast would have shown up mm-hmm. but she doesn't listen to us being all geeky about the egyptian where is bast no i mean <laughs> you want to see it I think in a, even in Black Panther they reference Bast,
0: but they also reference Hanuman, who is Indian. So they they, they throw a lot of different things in there.
2: Right. I mean, that's what lo- that's why I love Wakanda. It's because they right. took all this like mythology and sort of combined it into this new one. I'm not really
0: fully into this Minotaur minion for, uh, for that reason. Plus, it just looks really CG.
1: Yeah, it's kind of Steppenwolf er- like like. Arabad.
0: Horace and Beck have to fight this Minotaur and his bull minions, and, you know, they beat him. I don't really remember much about this. It's just sort of an action sequence.
2: Well, it, it sets up some minor stuff with Horace telling Beck that he needs to get them water because he doesn't want to waste the water creation on him. So he goes with the can um, canteen and um, goes to get water, and that's when the the bull minions attack.
0: They're in sort of like an oasis-y type of setting. Yeah, it's right? the top it's sort of, of a like,
2: waterfall.
0: I like the settings yes. that they use in this. Yeah. I think the environments that they... I mean, they're all very CG. They don't feel real or anything like that, but I thought they were cool. I think there's a lot of variety to them, and I think they're actually pretty pretty fun to look at and stuff. How did those things track on 3D? Were they Did they
2: pop, or were they just sort of in the background? Uh, everything pops in this movie, and it's. It, I think it's... Not shot in 3D, but they did, you know, post-production.
0: Post-conversion.
2: So you can definitely see which panels were, you know, pushed to the front and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, it definitely seems like a cut-out 3D, which, you know, I was fine with. It, the, that fight scene, though, is, is cut to make the action look cool, um, meaning very fast, and lots of over the head angles yeah it was it was fun
1: i forgot i forgot a line i think jeffrey rush says it but it, it's worth mentioning where he says that's not worth the papyrus it's written on yeah yeah. I, yeah I got a big kick out of that one that's like,
0: some egyptian I'm humor like, like, oh, for you
1: man like yeah someone was like <laughs> we have to say this somewhere in the." It, we gotta throw in papyrus in there. Like, like,
0: yeah, I mean this this is just a sort of action scene where we have human characters fighting CG characters. It's your sort of standard for that kind of stuff. There's some f- cool stylistic elements to it like Steve is saying, but it is ultimately I think the kind of more forgettable part of the movie.
1: You know what I am digging is is the gold blood. Yeah. I think it's a great way to like, you know, have bloodshed. But, you know, keep it PG-13 or whatever it was. And, and it just looks so cool. And, and it, it really sends home that, like, these are gods. And when you cut them, freaking gold comes out. And it's, it's just a great, it's a, it feels very right for the Egyptian story.
2: I totally agree. When they mention it in the opening of the movie that they have gold blood and that they're larger than people. I mean, you see the blood on Horace's hands from his father. Yeah. And then here it plays out great as well. It definitely pops.
0: And this poor Minotaur dude, like he fails to get them, and then he goes back to report to Set, and Set's like, "Oh, you should get your wound checked out." And right. the Minotaur's like, "Okay," and then he just cuts his head off.
1: He kind of got what he deserved.
2: The bull basically tells Set that, you know, who's who's with him, like who's helping Horus, and uh he tells him it's a mortal. And then you know, Set says like. Oh, this is one ambitious mortal, and then that's when you see um, the two women goddesses, um, Anat, the goddess of war, and um, yeah, a start. I think her name is
0: yeah. And we've seen a shot of them before, right. and they like flick their tongues, and you can see their that's tongues are the forced. worst
1: CG ever, man. It's so <laughs> bad. It looks like somebody from watched one YouTube tutorial and put that tongue in there. It's so. Bad. Well, Ugh.
0: the CG tongues might be bad, but I end up really enjoying what becomes of these yes. These two. Okay, so our next big scene is um, Horace and Beck come to this place that is sort of like this barren land you know, with all these kind of cool, like, uh, ridges or whatever in it. And Horace explains that it used to be Osiris's garden, which is now all dead. It's almost sort of like a labyrinth because there's no more vegetation making it green and beautiful. And so then these two women gods or whatever minions of set show up, one of them played by Abby Lee from... uh, Fury Road, and they are riding these giant cobras. And this is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Um, This was the part that I remember most from my first viewing. Like, I remember watching this the first time and being like, I was like, all right, here we go. Now I'm having fun. Um, You know, it's just a big, giant monster fight, basically. But um, it's fun. I really enjoy it. They use the environment really well. They have to uh, use Beck as a decoy. He's got to kind of run out amongst this sort of labyrinth and this to, to sort of draw the snakes out, so that uh, Horace can then like slide under them and stab them and stuff. I don't know. I really, I really dug it. I dug this scene.
1: Agreed. This is my second favorite scene in the movie, other than the the, the space fight.
2: They definitely got this yin and yang thing going on. The black. Snake with the you know black actress rider and then Abby Lee mm-hmm. or whose name is um Yaya Dang. It plays the um the other yeah, rider snake rider, right. yeah. And it sort of reminded me, I mean, anything with a snake is gonna remind me of Medusa with the mm-hmm. snake tail. Initially, I think you get some more backstory into what happened to Osiris and Isis in the scene uh, before they get attacked. Right. Yeah, this is where we find out what happened to them. Right, that uh, Isis
0: killed herself.
2: Osiris gets cut up into 14 pieces. Uh, he does get cut up in the myth. Yeah, straight from the mythology, which is great. And then the garden, which was once beautiful, basically Isis's tears um, salt the earth, and um, that's ah, why okay. nothing grows there anymore. And then she commits suicide.
0: But so basically the way they get out of this situation is they kill one of the snakes, but it then it's looking pretty grim for the uh, the second snake. But um, Hathor shows up, and she saves the day by she, – because she's the goddess of love, she can basically seduce anything. So she – hypnotized seduces or hypnotizes one of the snakes to love her. And then it turns on itself because the snakes can shoot like lava or something, some kind of molten fire out of their, their mouths. And the snake ends up shooting it on itself and burning itself to death. So.
2: Right. There's some, um, there's a great line when he uh, kills Abby Lee, she says uh, too bad. You can no longer fly. And then Horace, you know, ties her to her saddle as about their She's about to go off a cliff and she's like, and he says, neither can you. Good action <laughs> movie
0: line. Yeah. And she goes flying off the cliff to her death. What we learn here after this is now we have Hathor in the mix and she, you know, she's going to be sort of helping out for the next part of this journey. And they figure out that they've got to break into Set's temple and guarding Set's temple is the Sphinx. And we all know about the Sphinx, right? Like there if there's a Sphinx, yeah. there's got to be a riddle. riddle. Right. That's the whole deal with that mythological being. So who's gonna be the best person to help them with riddles? That would be the God of wisdom. So they've got to go seek the help of Thoth. And so we get this scene where they're sort of wander they wander through a swamp because I guess Thoth lives out in a swamp somewhere. And um, there's sort of a nice exchange between Hathor and Beck where, you know, she's bossing him around at first because he's a human, but then she finds out that he loved um, Zaya, and she's, you know, trapped in this situation in the underworld that she's in. And she starts to have sympathy for him because I guess she's the goddess of love. They don't really explain it, but she just basically sort of turns around on him and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry.
2: Basically, uh, the way that Parath escapes Set, she brings up a magic cloud to see where Horus is.
1: Oh, right! She goes through the the underworld or something, right?
2: Set sees her looking up where Horus is, yeah, and um, you know finds out for real that he's she's actively betraying him. You know, he's he brings out his sword. He's basically about to kill her, and then she takes off this bracelet which they introduce early on in the movie it's basically um has like gems on it representing the 42 demons that Horace killed so that she should could escape from the underworld right and it's basically a a ward like a device which keeps her from getting found by the demons and um when she takes it off the demons come for her sort of like in um the Patrick Swayze movie Ghost you know that the, these dark yeah. souls just like Grab her from out of nowhere, which is very cool by the way, and she goes into like a limbo sort of like uh magic does in the x men and then she puts a bracelet back on and gets snapped out of you know the demon hell world, and that's when she ends up finding you know Horace and Beck by the the garden temple
0: right right, 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 right. that's how she gets there, so yeah they're they're sort of um just walking along this swamp to get to Thoth and having this exchange about love, basically. And that, yeah, that bracelet is going to come into play a little bit later. We get into Thoth's temple and we now really get full on Chadwick Boseman because not only do we get him playing Thoth, but Thoth has like a million other versions of himself walking around because he's the god of wisdom, so he wants to just be... You know, taking in all this knowledge. So, I guess the idea is that he makes all these other versions of himself so that they can be learning everything all at the same time, right? Am, am I reading that as the right?
2: No, absolutely. Um, he is uh, recording knowledge because he's afraid of what Seth's going to do. He's basically the god of all, you know, the creation of knowledge and also the um, of equilibrium. He plays a huge factor in the judgment of souls and he has no. Father um, or creator, he basically came to existence on his own. He's there at the beginning of creation. Okay. There's alternative stories for every god story, uh, and his traditional appearance is the head of a an ibis, which is like a you know a bird.
0: That is not done here at all. I don't think uh, Chadwick never transforms into a bird at all. Right. right?
2: I mean, but you got Chadwick Bozeman, yeah. I mean, even though maybe 2016. But you still want to see him, and he's yeah. only the only person of a uh, color besides Elodie Young and um, the Snake Hunter um, yeah. in this film, pretty much.
0: His performance is kind of odd. Like, I mean, I love seeing him because I'm, you know, we've lost him um, in the, the last year, and I just now I just want to see everything he's in because I just enjoy his presence so much. So I'm I'm psyched to see him but it is a little bit of a strange performance. He's doing a sort of accent. That's a little odd. It's not qu- quite his Wakandan accent. It's a little different, but um, he's sort of playing the, he's got a take on the character. I would yeah. say, you know, like, and it's, I'm not sh- sure exactly what it is, but it's,
2: it's sort of an effeminate intellectual. Right. Um. Like he's sort of androgynous in a way. Yeah. Uh. Almost like a, not really talking like how a, drag queen would talk per se, but he's definitely sort of playing into that. He's so smart that he doesn't even care about sexuality anymore
1: i the weird thing for for me is that it's, it just doesn't fit into the wheelhouse of the, like the movie you know you're like what is what is he doing here you know whereas everyone's super macho and just like god's a man you know and it's just it it's an odd choice to me not that he he does a, a poor job with it
2: he's the god of wisdom so he's sort of like a, a nerd to everyone's jock right
1: okay
0: which is fine but it's kind of like he's also chadwick boseman and he's he's in really good shape
1: yeah get his shirt off (laughs) again it's not like
0: he's slouching or anything he looks built i mean i don't know if that's black panther workout he's looking pretty cut in his costume so but yeah he's not playing at that i mean i guess the gods are just all like super cut just because oh yeah they're gods it's great to see him and he's definitely got a kind of interesting take. And yeah, there is like, I was kind of like, is he playing it? Is that he's gay, but you know, I don't think, I think you're right. I think it's just beyond sexuality really.
2: Yeah. I mean, in the mythology, he actually does have a wife. I mean, they all do, but uh, definitely in this it's, it's, it's what he decided to do. And I, I think it's great. It's, he's a wise old God. He's in the swamp. He's basically Yoda, but instead of like talking weird sense of structure. He's doing this other thing.
0: And at the, initially, you know, they're like, we need you for this Sphinx riddle. And he's like, I'm not getting involved in that. I've got better things to do. But of course, uh, Horace, plays to Thoth's ego and Thoth even recognizes it. He's like, you're playing to my ego, aren't you? And Horace is like, well, yep. And so he's like, mm, well played or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll take that challenge. So they all now set off to Set's pyramid, which is sort of out in the desert somewhere. So they get to the pyramid and it's kind of another one of these like situations where it's like a video gamey stones of the pyramid are moving around or whatever. And, you know, Beck's the only one who knows where the door is because he's
2: read the scroll or whatever. Beck and Horath talk right before this and they basically reinforce the the love story. Yeah. Like uh, Beck actually gets to do a sort of um, long distance call to Zaya through the mist um, basically saying that, like, oh yeah, we're we're trying to help you, um, and then Anubis is like, uh, no, you know, call's done. You guys can't talk anymore.
0: He interrupts the FaceTime. Right. He's like, yeah, we got to get to the to these judges, and we see this sort of quick scene of the the judges who are these big like death corpses who sit around and you go up to them and you're like this is what I brought you and they're like that's not enough or whatever like one dude's like I'm gonna live forever but he clearly didn't have enough money and then so he dissipates into dust and this other woman comes in and just puts down her wedding ring and that doesn't work i think one of the big corpse dudes is bruce spence did you notice that too i mean it he, he looks very made I up i thought
1: the same thing yeah yeah is he famous for what's he what's he's the gyro
0: captain from road warrior he's, he's in
1: sauron the mouth of sauron right okay, in the, okay. Uh, extended edition
0: He's in Matrix Revolutions, he's the subway guy.
1: All Australian movies, so whenever
0: there's an Australian movie, he shows up. Basically, um, he's just a very famous, he's got a very famous face, but the thing I remember him most from is he's he's in both Road Warrior and Mad Max Thunderdome. In both uh, cases he plays the guy in the gyrocopter. Got it. Could you tell from his voice? Or from the makeup. His voice, and they and they kind of, you can see him through the yeah. makeup. Like, mm-hmm, whatever kind right. of makeup they have on. Like, I mean, I wasn't sure if it was digital makeup or what, because they look kind of digital, but right. it, I, th- I think it might have just actually been makeup, and it just, they put some CG'd kind of filter up. on yeah. it. Yeah. A,
2: a couple things going into the mythology, again, as I will um, like to do. Like, I didn't get the row of judges making judgment, because in the mythology, it's... Osiris, who is the Lord of the Dead, and Anubis is there, and you know they have the scale and the feather, which represents a right a, a, another goddess, Maat, um, as the waiting. It's not the panel of um, the Supreme Court of Pharaohs, yeah. which you know threw me, but like you know, it's cool. It kind of reminds me of the dead gods, or the dead vampires from uh, Queen of the Damned in that initial scene, and you know. We haven't seen a desiccated mummy face in a movie about Egyptians yet. So I guess this has to be the place where you got to put it,
1: right? Right, right.
2: Totally, totally. But we'll get back to them in a second. What
0: happens now is they're in the Temple of Set, and they've got to actually do the Riddle of the Sphinx. So we get a big, giant uh, CG monster uh, Sphinx popping out of the sand. And like I was thinking about it, I was kind of bummed that I hadn't timed out like a big Kai- Kaiju movie to go with um, Godzilla versus Kong this week. But then I watched right. this and I'm like, there are so many giant monsters in this. If yeah. you like giant monsters, like you could do worse than to watch gods of Egypt. Cause That's I mean, there's like giant snakes, there's the Sphinx, there's
1: yeah,
0: all sorts of giant creatures. So there, there's some kaiju in this movie. Um, so, yeah, they have the big riddle of the Sphinx moment. I got to say, this riddle kind of sucks. Like, you know, like we're, we're coming up to this. This is the big riddle thing. And like yeah. the Sphinx gets like one riddle. I, I forget the actual riddle itself. I didn't I didn't What's write black it down. and white
1: and red all over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the riddle is I never was. am always to be. No one ever saw me nor ever will. And yet I am the confidence of all who live and breathe. What am I?
0: Right. And so then Thoth, because he's the riddle guy, gives the answer. What does Thoth say? His first answer. Order. Order. Right. Because that's what I guess what a god would think. And it's like the Sphinx. I mean, if you get it wrong, isn't the Sphinx supposed to kill you? I
2: mean, it shouldn't.
1: Yeah. How many guesses do you get? Like,
2: (laughs) Thoth gets three guesses. Right. Which is, I guess, like a genie thing, but uh, apparently in this movie also a sphinx thing. Right. I'm not sure about the actual um, legend of the sphinx, um, but it is a female sphinx, so they changed it to a male for this one. Bullshit. Yeah. I kind Hold of on. wanted to see um, giant sphinx Sphinx cleavage. boobs. <laughs> yeah. Because the sphinx
0: does have boobs. It right. is a thing. We're not just making that up because we're pervy. That's a <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. Sphinxes have boobs. We have women listeners who probably don't want to hear us talk about boobs. Right, right. Or maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe we need more boobs. So, the eventual answer is tomorrow. That's the actual answer for the riddle. But yeah, I did kind of think it was A, a lame riddle. B, Thoth, you're blowing it, man. Like, you know, you're not And I also kind of was like, but Thoth's Thoth's answer is right.
1: Yeah, I like that he says that. He's like he's yeah. like my answer was perfectly fine and like right. tell me why it's wrong. So maybe that's why the Sphinx let him have another guess cuz he's like, "Well, it does fit, but it's not what I was thinking." Yeah, he
2: does take a pause and gives him a moment. Yeah, the second answer is purity, purity, which I right? I guess also applies maybe. Well, they they bring I be, I believe Beck is like, "You got to think
0: like a human, not like a god." And like that's why his answers aren't correct or whatever cuz Thoth is thinking too big like a god or whatever but yeah I mean the Sphinx I gotta kind of like call bullshit on the sphinx like if you have a riddle and you're gonna like there's gotta be just one answer like it's gonna be only one thing it can be like you can't come up with a riddle that where you're like "Mm, actually you've got a point there i guess that could be applied to this riddle (laughs) Right. (laughs) right. uh, take another guess like (laughs) that's that's pretty lame especially if that's your one job you know agreed fucking come up with a riddle But anyway, so they answered the the, the, the riddle correctly, but Set shows up, and there's a big fight.
2: They enter, and the pit's there. They got the bottle. They're about to put it in, but um, Horath and Horus, this cage basically snaps, like, shuts over them, and Set says basically, oh, thanks for bringing Thoth here. I was looking for him. Right. Um, And then he proceeds to pull out his brain, yeah, that's yeah, cool. That was cool. I
0: like the glowing brain.
2: Yeah, I really like this. That the the aspects of the gods are um, shown in the sort of glowing blue form. Like Horus's power is his vision, his eyes. Um, right. Thoth is his brain, so they have his brain. Nephthys is her blue wings. With the same, yeah. Right, um, and then Osiris. Um, I mean, during the garden scene, Horus says, "Like, yeah, they cut my dad's body into fourteen pieces, but they never found the heart." which we learn about later. Right. Yeah. And then um, I believe Beck is about to dump the water of creation into the pits to quench the fire of the desert. But set is like, Hey, here's your girlfriend's necklace. I know everything about her. And that's when the jig is up on uh, Horace's. Right. Plot. The
0: lie is revealed at this point that Horace does not know how to bring her back. And so what happens at this point is like Hathor is like, you got to make good on this or some way. So she wants to give back the bracelet, her bracelet that wards off a thousand demons or whatever, to go to the afterlife and give it to Rhea so she can pay for her way um, and uh, Horace is like, no, you can't do this because if she does this, like Steve said, you know, these demons are going to pull her into the limbo or whatever. But she does it anyway. So she gives Beck the, uh, the, the bracelet. So he ports off to uh, the underworld and she gets sucked into limbo by a bunch of hands.
2: The temple starts disintegrating. That's and right. Falling right, right. apart. And um, Horace protects Hathor... And Beck, with the wheel, with the giant wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then after that, that's when Hathor's like, take the bracelet, and she goes away. I really love that after you've seen the flat earth, that then you realize what's happening when um, anyone starts twisting into the dirt. Like, they just... Come out the other side um, right, into right. the underworld because
0: yeah. Then Beck shows up there and he gives he he wants to give, um, Rea the bracelet, but she's not going to accept it if he can't come with her. So right. she's basically like. Nope, I ain't taking it. And at the same time, basically, we now that Set has all these cool things, he's armoring up into his super armor, where he's got Thoth's brain, Horus's eye, Nephsus' wings, and, as we find out, the heart of Osiris. So he's got his super armor on now. He's leveled up.
2: Right. The, um, the wings give him protection in flights. The brain gives him all recorded knowledge. The heart of Osiris gives him dominion over all the lands. And then the eyes uh, basically make it so that no one can deceive him.
0: And so what does he do? The first thing he does is he goes flying up to our boy Ra's uh, spaceship ship and basically fucks up Ra. He shows up and he's just basically like, you know, why didn't you make me king or whatever? And Ra is like, I wanted you to come up here and and fly my boat and kill the the big worm thing every night. And Roz like, I don't want to. That's not what I wanted to yeah. do.
2: <laughs> Roz using his son as his retirement plan, and it's just yeah. like, um, <laughs> no
1: thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, it's like
0: your dad being like, I thought you wanted to go into the family business. Yeah, like,
1: exactly. The lame family business. That yeah.
2: Yeah. Set basically. What he wants is to be to be immortal um, and right. forever rule over the the realm of man uh, over Egypt. That's why he builds all these giant monuments to himself
1: so people remember him always. And then, so what's the deal though? That even though they're gods, they don't have immortality. They live thousands of years, but but it, they're not immortal. Am, am I to understand that? I mean.
2: I mean, Ra They said it is forever. The sun is around. You know. Right. You know. Knock on wood for another billions or right. trillions
1: or more years. Um,
0: it's not made clear.
1: Yeah. It yeah. just sounds it's, weird when he's like, "I'm a god and I want immortality." You're like, "Well, duh! Don't you have it already?" It's a, it seems a little strange. He just wants to be on the earth like immortal forever, right? Basically,
2: Ra says um, the reason I didn't give you the the power, you know, the ability to have children is, is that you wouldn't miss them. When you were up here doing right, right, the job.
0: This horrible job. This horrible
2: shit job. <laughs> right, right. So instead of children, Set wants something else to pass on, which is his legacy, which is the immortality that children gives people that he wants all for himself because he has no kids. What Seth's
0: going to do is he, and this is where it gets a little foggy, so maybe one of you guys can kind of clear this up. He's going to destroy the afterlife, right? Like, And that's going to be allow him to be immortal or something, right?
2: It's confusing in a way, but yeah, he basically takes the spear from his dad and lets the chaos worm or snake... Um, go to town on eating up the Nile, which is the source of creation.
0: Okay. And the afterlife. It's definitely confusing as to what, like, is actually the, the big the, the Apophis is actually doing. Like, I thought it was going to destroy the afterlife, and therefore there'd be, him, he would have immortality. I don't know. Whatever. It's basically, like, the end of the world.
1: When I watch this movie, I, I realize what it must be like for my wife to watch, like, Star Wars, because... I don't really Uh care. I go with it. I'm like, okay, I guess that's happening. I know that this worm is bad. I don't know where it came from, but they got to stop it. And you guys are talking such deep stuff that I I had no idea that all this was actually in the movie. I was just watching it and going, oh, there's a giant worm and and being entertained.
2: So the worm is attacking the gate, the final gate into the afterlife. Yeah. And basically puts a halt on all processing done at the gate. Right. <laughs> and so that prevents Zaya from actually having to go through and getting judged at that point. Um, and then Anubis is um, actively defending against the demon at that point. So this is. Anubis's big hero moment. Right. This is
0: where we're entering into our big climax. This is what's going on. These are the stakes. This is, you know, everybody's like, we got to hold this thing off. And so we get our big fight that's going to take place on the obelisk. Beck sort of ports back into the mortal world to help Horace out, despite the fact that, you know, Horace lied to him. He still is like, you know, you're the best shot at this or whatever.
2: Right. No, Zaya basically says, you know, I still believe that Horace is the answer. Right. So that's when Beck leaves her to go, because he's still alive.
0: So we have this scene where Horace and Beck, they get a Shuru, basically, and force him to help them out because he's the architect of of this obelisk. So they are all in this big elevator going up, and... You know, Shuru's explaining, like, how many slaves died making this
2: thing, which is, like, in the billions or
0: whatever. Uh, No, it's
2: uh, Sorry. It's 5,930 slaves. And then he just says a jab because Beck's there. He's like, oh, wait, it's 5,931 because Zaya died.
0: Right, right. (laughs) So, yeah, they're going up in this elevator. And so Horus... decides he's got to go outside and sneak attack on uh on set because like set standing up on top of the thing i don't know doing something like i'm not sure what he's doing he's got the spear and he's i don't know commanding the i don't know what he's doing
2: he's commanding the or he's letting the the chaos serpent do what it wants and um i i don't even know why uh horace decides to Climb on the outside of the the obelisk
1: at this point.
0: I assumed it was so he can sneak up on Set because Set's standing there, you know, going to town, just
1: gloating. Yeah, just
0: yeah, glo- what? I, yeah, he's not really doing anything. He's End just villain like...
1: stuff. He's watching. Uh, uh front row seat to the end of the world, man. Like, you know, it's that, that villain stuff.
0: He's just feeling himself in a major right. way, basically. Yeah. But this allows Beck to have a fight with a human antagonist in the elevator, which is like, I don't know how this elevator works in ancient Egypt, but whatever, that's what it is. <laughs> and then, you know, we get Set and Horace fighting on the obelisk and they're sort of in their like normal dude forms in this part of the fight. I mean, the obelisk is really high up, and so there's some tension of like, oh, they're going to fall off this thing. As far as a staging of a battle goes, it seems a little cramped. Like, they don't really have a lot of room to maneuver up there, but Beck beats uh, Rufus Sewell and kicks him down the elevator shaft. He gets back up on the top of the obelisk, and he—he's gotten the eye of Horus at this point. He's got a, a Horus's other eye.
2: Right. He—it's embedded in Set's forehead, and as Horus is distracting Set, and he grabs uh, back, back is close enough to his head to prick out the the eye That's right, and it goes flying. Yeah,
0: it goes flying. And then so Beck's falling as well. And it's this moment where it's like, is Horace going to, you know, and and Beck is telling Horace to go for the eye. And he's like, you know, go for the eye. And it's this moment, is Horace going to try to save Beck or is he going to try to grab the eye? He blows off the eye and he goes to save Beck. And so they're, you know, they're hanging off the side of this obelisk. Uh, Set comes up over them and like, takes his spear and you know, jabs it down and there's like streams of lava start flowing down. So you know it looks like it's the end of for our heroes. But then Horace suddenly transforms into his armored form, which he wasn't supposed to be able to do without the eye. And he flies Beck down to the the ground and to the, to the, to the village below or the city below or whatever. I'm a little foggy on what happens here. How do, Why does Beck become mortally wounded?
1: I, I'm also foggy on the sense that why wouldn't he just go for the eye and then become the eagle and then sweep down and rescue Beck too like it seems right. like a no-brainer yeah go get the eye and then save me at the same time but I I get what they're what they're trying to set up here but I felt like you're just like dumbass go get your eye yeah <laughs> and save the world like you can do both <laughs> yeah yeah
2: go save you know your dad's in tornado. You can probably get to him and save him before anyone sees him. That's like a Man of Steel reference. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's uh, it's to show that what he prioritizes is right. saving. He's, he's yeah. on the right
1: path. He's yeah.
0: It's the hero's choice, which is a thing that happens in a lot of these things.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's living for the people. I'm just a little
0: foggy. Is like so they end up like back down on the ground and like Beck is wounded. I guess did and I? I mean, he must have just gotten hurt somewhere in the fight, and I just wasn't tracking it.
2: Yeah, I I think somewhere when he gets grabbed by a set or something that right. he gets stabbed in the side or something.
0: So anyway, at that moment, you know, it's like, oh, my God, Horace was able to transform without his other eye. And, you know, it's this whole, you know, the whole like I've had a soul all along moment, the Tin Man thing. Like he could always do it. He just didn't, well, I don't know, believe in himself or something. Right. So Horace flies back up in his armored form and now he can fight set you know as more of an equal and they have a big fight and the pyramid the, the obelisk crumbles and they fall down all the way down to the ground and Horace beats him basically
2: you know it's just a big fight big CG fight so in in 3d this scene's kind of amazing because they Horus flies up fighting Anubis in the middle of the obelisk and it's sort of like the end scene of Return of the Jedi, where the Falcons going through the you know right, the right. Death Star, um, through all the scaffolding, which is you know like the construction of the Death Star, or whatever. There's always this scene of superpowered beings where one takes the head of another superpowered being and like shoves her head into the, the the road or into a wall and just like drags it a couple of feet, like right. just like,
1: or the spinning tire and then like right. Ee- the, the buzz saw, like <laughs> they bust out of the top of the obelisk, and
2: that's when um Horus rips off Nephthys' wings off of uh, a set. and then that's when he plummets to the ground. and while he's falling down, he's shooting out um, blasts from the sphere and it's like destroying parts of the obelisk, which makes it crumble. yeah, um, and anyone, I believe that's you know, at ground zero near that thing it's is probably so dead.
0: fucking dead.
2: Yeah. But there's no afterlife anymore. So I guess it's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So they end up, you know, bat in the rubble of the obelisk and now Horace has got the sphere or something and he's, you know, and then sets like, you know, I didn't kill you or whatever. And Horace is like, I'm not going to make that same mistake or whatever.
1: Yeah, that was cool.
0: And then stab set. So Set is dead and the heroes have won. Yeah, and so then after that, uh basically Horus goes flying up into space and he finds Ra sort of floating there and he like revives Ra who then takes the spear back and vanquishes Apophis, so the world devouring threat is vanquished and you know the afterlife is restored
2: um horace gets his eye back from a little girl in the village oh right it That's fell right. down
1: and they found it right right
2: and then um beck is still dying uh, right nearby yeah um so he dies and then horace buries beck's body with um Zaya and the osiris's uh grave right Ra basically says, um comes to see uh Horace when he's laying the grass to the body of Beck. Yeah. And he says, like, well, I've never owed anyone um I've never owed anyone anything. Right. So, you know, he tells his grandson, Whatever you want. I'm gonna give you whatever you want.
0: Pick a thing and I'll do it for right. you. Right. And
2: Horace is like, I want the impossible.
0: Right. And then they cut, get cuts to beck uh waking up and it's sort of funny because like beck wakes up and he's like oh my god i'm still alive and everything he's all psyched that he's alive and then Horace (laughs) is like you might want to check your lady there too or whatever like (laughs) like because then there's oh oh yeah oh she's alive too great yeah like this whole thing that he's been trying to do the whole movie kind of forgets about it because he's so psyched, he's not dead. You know, all the gods come back. So you know, Chadwick is back. The other gods are back. Horus becomes king, and you know now Beck is his his advisor. And um, Horus changes things to now that it's good deeds that gets you into the afterlife, not money. So you know he's changed things for the better. Now the afterlife is what it should be. You know, if you're a good person, you get in. And then, you know, we end with basically Beck. Doesn't Beck give him back the bracelet or whatever?
2: Yes. uh...
0: Basically, like, go get your girl. Go get uh, Hathor out of limbo or whatever. And you're like, I'll cover for you. I'll tell everybody, you know, you're off doing something or you're not around or whatever. That's the end. Horace flies off to presumably. It's kind of lame that they didn't just bring her back at the end. Like, was she off shooting Daredevil or something?
2: It's a sequel bait, maybe. Yeah, they wanted sequels. Okay, so it's this giant coronation scene. It looks like the end of, you know, Star Wars. Everyone's there. It's all beautiful and gorgeous. And, you know, yeah, afterlife is earned by good deeds, compassion, and generosity. This is basically from the actual Egyptian myth where on the scales, instead of wealth, um, Osiris has set it up that you weigh your heart versus a feather. Right, right, and, right. um, and the heart is representing your core values, as you said, Beck gives the bracelet back, and then, yeah, you have this awesome sort of spider man swinging through the city scene at the end, but it's superhero moment, basically, it's Horus flying you know, golden god that he is um throughout you know Egypt, and it's great in three d one thing I wanted to mention early on is that these this sort of god transformation, this armoring up. You think it's like a like when someone when they made Transformers. Yeah. And they had the crazy transformation or even back to like 89 Batmobile where it's like armors up like shields. It's yeah. totally that sort of
0: vibe. It's definitely this sort of superhero like moment and it's yeah, there's this sort of modern CG transformery element to it. You know, kind of Iron Man, you know, and the Marvel movies when, you know, suddenly armor just appears over characters and whatever.
2: Right. I want to say that you know, it, it it gives the credits like the same, the opening titles, the same kind of credit treatment for like, um, Alex Perias, and then and then it says the writers, and I just want to call out the writers, uh, Matt Sazawa and uh, Burke. Sharples, um they really stuck to the original myth as much as they could. The uh the Assyrian version of Egypt's um Egyptian mythology and I I really appreciated it. Yeah. Um because I thought it was gonna be, you know, after Clash of the Titans and Wrath of the Titans, where they really mess with the mythology to do something that actually was semi accurate.
0: They read up on their mythology. So anyway, this movie was you know, a $140 million budget, which, you know, is a lot, uh, especially for a movie that's not like a Marvel movie or whatever. It ended up making $30 million in the U.S., which is terrible Whoa, on $140 million. Wow. It made 150 worldwide, which is, you know, $10 million more over the budget, but not with market. You know, and plus, like, foreign box office isn't the same. You only get, right. like, half of that. So it's, it's a total
2: bomb. I remember the posters in um Times Square so yeah yeah a lot of money a lot of
1: money they spent spend a
2: lot of money on this it shows though yeah it's definitely there
1: yeah it's it it's up there but yeah it just who was this meant for you know we can always like with most of our movies we're like oh uh, they were going for the matrix they're going for 300 but like like you were saying this was so long after all those movies had made money like what what were they thinking when they greenlit this, where they just like there hasn't been a movie like this in a long time, and I'm kind of sad that movies like this might not be made anymore because you know I think that yeah. they're they're kind of dumb fun. I don't know if they need to be made at this budget level, but um, yeah, I'm curious what what their plan was and who they thought was going to go see this.
2: I think um, Sebastian's right, and that this was coming on the tail end wave. I don't know when the script was bought. Right. And it started production. I mean, the production design had to have taken over a year or maybe two. But, yeah, it's, uh, you had a movie about Greek gods. And then you had a movie about uh, Scandinavian Norse mythology. And then you have two more Greek gods picks, and It's like, oh, what other god mythology can we tap? Right. Yeah, and, But at that point, people were just sick of it.
0: I also think that the trailer, I mean, I remember seeing the trailer and stuff for this and it looked crazy, like in a way (laughs) that I think was probably appealing to me because I like to like, like Chris was saying, it's like, I like to see things, big swings like this, you know, like, but even I didn't end up seeing it in the theater, so that just goes to show how far that got with,
2: you know, got them. You know, I think it would just look too crazy. I mean yeah, the the trailer with the basically just showed the transformations and it was basically like watching the Transformers. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's people turning into giant robot birds. Like you said, super crazy out there. And yeah, it looked awesome. I, I think I was part of that just God fatigue.
1: If we were all fourteen-year-old boys when this came out, we would have all gone to the theater and seen it, right? Oh, hell I mean, yeah! Hell so yeah. where were all the fourteen-year-old <laughs> boys? Why didn't they go see it? Like maybe that's not enough. That's not enough anymore. But um, yeah,
2: I want to say it's maybe the
1: MCU. There's competition. You could, they could see Marvel movies. Yeah, they're they're yeah. seeing that. Yeah, right.
2: Like the superheroes are our version of gods. Yeah, yeah. and like the and going back to an old story of superheroes from Egyptian mythology wasn't going to compare to the now, the current of right. the MCU. Mm-hmm. When did Justice League come out? 2017. 2017. It would have been in the
0: year after Okay, this. a year
2: after, but, like, that's DC's pantheon. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, like, that's what people want to see. They don't want to see um, something they read about in, like, two pages of world history when they were, like, in the fifth grade
0: you could see maybe the logic though in terms of like this might have looked like a good idea on paper because like you're saying so you've got the whole clash of the titans thing that had sort of done well a few years before and then you pitch it as like yeah but these are so we're doing that but like they're going to be like superheroes but like you know mixed with like clash of the titans or whatever i mean I could see the pitch working. I mean obviously it worked because they got friggin 140 million dollars yeah, to yeah. like to make this crazy fucking thing and I mean the story itself is pretty straightforward and not anything too crazy. The visuals are really what pushes it over the top yeah but yeah I mean I just think it's just too much and I don't know man I, I get like sometimes I get a little bit worried that audiences just don't have the capacity anymore for this type of imagination, you know? Like
1: yeah, if they had knocked it out if if the same movie had been done by a more sure-handed director, I I feel like, you know, it, it there're gr- good moments in the movie, you know, don't get me wrong. I you know, I had a pretty good time watching it, but there's it just didn't stand out like, you know, like it was a big swing if if like the action had been f- Freaking rock solid the entire time. I could have, you know, said, to hell with the bad love story, to hell with the n- lack of characterization. I still could have gone with it and, like, seen it a few times in the theater or whatever. But I just feel like they don't get anything A+. plus, You know, and so that uh-huh. that was the mistake to me. I mean, like, I feel like if you're going to nail CG in action, then nail the CG in action, and I can forgive the rest. But I I, I don't hate the movie. I think it was, it's fun for what it is, and it never pretends to be not not something that it's not, you know?
0: No, I like the movie, and actually watching it again this time, I liked it a little bit better than I did the first time.
2: I gotta say, having missed its initial run, and having only seen it in, like, the last week, I definitely enjoyed it. I was actually, you know, like I said before, shocked how kind of accurate it was. Mm -hmm. I, I love, you know, I love all the world mythologies, And yeah, I'm kind of bummed that they missed the mark and that this failed because then we won't get like, you know, an Indian cast Hindu deity movie or like even like a South American Aztec god, you know, film. I don't think they would ever made. The closest thing we got was Apocalypto. I mean, just like all these cool things that we're we're not going to see because... The world wasn't ready for the gods of Egypt.
1: <laughs> I'm torn between the two sensibilities here where, you know, you wanna be loyal to the mythology and I think that, you know, that would have been a, a different movie if you were like, all right, let's you know, let's fully throw ourselves into the Egyptian mythology, you know, get the casting right and just make it seem a little bit more realistic and, and really say that we're being accurate with it. And then there's also the fire and ice, uh, you know, Conan the Barbarian, where it's just like, you know what? This is, you know, ancient world that nobody knows about, that the rules go out the window. I think that's right. fun too. And 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 like Sebastian, you were saying, like I, I I'm sad that that type of movie you know, especially with the other, with Momoa's Conan flopping, like, like there's no more appetite for that, for that type of movie, which in the 80s was so much fun and, you know, like really, you know, forced you to use your imagination and would go different places. Whereas now it's all just, you know, all right, superhero movies. And like that lane is just kind of dying. I, you know, if they made a if they made a sequel to this, I would, that would have been fun. I mean, like what, what other, um,
0: Oh dude, if this had turned into a franchise, I'd be yeah. all over
1: it. I wanted to see a Sphinx fight, you know, like yeah, a Sphinx with boobs like fight, like that'd be good.
0: I definitely liked it enough to want that. Just get rid of Brenton Thwaites and I think Yeah, that's good. I agree. Aww. I agree.
1: <laughs> he wasn't as bad as like, you know, Dane DeHaan, but he definitely didn't carry the movie. Um No.
0: He's no Orlando Bloom. Yeah. All right, guys, um, I'm gonna go grab Thoth's brain and Horace's eye and uh, Nephthys wings and go fly up to the space barge and uh, kill myself a uh, afterlife-eating worm. (laughs) That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, Check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? send an email to tentpoltrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening,
2: and we'll see you real soon.